You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Our passage this morning uh, is in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 25. Uh, 25 uh, chapters, the big number, the verses are the little numbers. So verse 14, Matthew 25, verse 14. Uh, I will read our passage. We're going to go through verse 30. Please give your attention to the reading of God's Word. Matthew 25, starting in the 14th verse. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let us pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, our Maker and Redeemer, 
we thank you uh, for your word. And we pray that now you would come and you would speak to us. You'd help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear what you are telling us in this parable. Help us to know Jesus better. Help us to trust him more. And I pray that you would make each of us more fruitful servants uh, as we wait for your return. We ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, this summer, uh, if you've been here a few times, know that we've been going through the parables, and we've been looking at how the parables, Jesus, through these stories, is unpacking for his disciples what the kingdom of heaven is all about. Uh, and here we've come to a, a rather famous parable, um, and it's somewhat odd at a glance. Uh, it can be sort of maybe easily misunderstood, especially this third servant. You know, um, it almost seems like, imagine a scenario where uh, the parents, they want to go on a date, so they hire a babysitter, uh, and when they come back, uh, they ask the babysitter how things went, the babysitter gets sort of a ho-hum, you know, nothing big, you know, the kids are in bed, and the parents are like, what? You didn't teach our kids Latin and calculus while we were gone? We thought for sure you would have taken care of that. You're a lousy babysitter, and well, get out and off our property, and you're never coming back here again. It feels a little bit like the master is like, I mean, it's not like the servant lost anything, you know? So why is he getting such poor treatment, you know? This morning, what I'd like to do is uh, look at a few things in this parable. Hopefully, we'll see that actually the servant's... Uh, not actually misunderstood. The master is a little bit more misunderstood. Um, so what I'd like to do is first I'm going to quickly do the setup. Verses 14 through 18 uh, are kind of quick and just give us some basic details. Then I want to ask uh, and address the question, what are these talents? What, what are the talents uh, that these servants are dealing with? Then we'll look at when the master returns, how he deals with these servants and the significance of that. And then finally, some practical uh, questions about what is the kingdom importance of this parable? You know, what does this have to do with our lives? Um, so we'll look at the setup, what are the talents, the master's return, and then the, the practical kingdom significance, the kingdom implications uh, this passage, and we're going to jump around a little bit in the book of Matthew, so uh, there are Bibles uh, under the seats if you don't have that, uh, you know, or you can follow along on your phone if that's easier, but we will be jumping around. So, the setup, verses 14 through 18. This, this is Jesus' last parable, so you kind of expect it to be good. Uh, and it's also one of the last things he says in his very last sermon in the book of Matthew. So again, you'd expect it to be, to be good. And what he's telling us, we've got a, a, a rich guy who's going away on a trip. Um, interestingly enough, Jesus himself is about to go die on the cross, and he's talking about the coming of his kingdom at some point in the future. And this master in our story... Uh, entrusts his possessions, or at least some of his possessions, to three servants. Uh, and he gives to them, uh, he entrusts them based on what he assesses as their ability, we're told. Uh, and then the master leaves. We, you know, we don't really have any details other than that it was for a long time. 
And we're told that immediately two of them go to work, right? And they're rather successful. And then uh, the third one, he goes and digs a hole and buries the money, okay? Uh, which actually in the ancient world uh, was a common way of hiding stuff and making sure it's secure. So that's not abnormal. And you can even find people still doing that today. Uh, occasionally you'll find interesting news stories about someone who digs something up in the backyard, like, you know, uh, sort of random things. Uh, and people love to tell you about that on the news. You know, like they found a hundred year old, you know, I don't know, document or, you know, I can remember one time, my brothers and I, we were staying at this hotel for a wedding, and it was historically, uh, there's this story that uh, a robber had robbed the bank and then stayed the night in that hotel and hid his money in the hotel. And needs to say, for that whole weekend that we stayed there, my brothers and I, we had one objective, and that was to find the robber's money. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, people hide stuff, and they did in the ancient world. So the more important question now, what are these talents? What are the talents that Jesus uh, is talking about? Now, a number of folks have proposed different things, and I'll give you a quick summary. Um, some have said it's, it's, the, it's fruitful salvation. You know, you're saved and you do stuff with being saved. That was St. Augustine. Some have said it's God's word. Um, most commonly, you'll hear this, is that it's your, the personal gifts and abilities that God gives to each Christian, uh, and that there's a spiritual principle here, right? You know, don't hide your abilities. Employ them for the service of God, you know? Uh, and if you do that, uh, your life will expand, you know? You'll, you'll have so much to contribute. Um, that's kind of a general position. Um, St. Chrysostom, uh, early church father, said that. John Calvin uh, had a somewhat similar position, but he threw in the Holy Spirit as well. Um, so put your gifts to work is often the moral of the story. And then others will say, well, we should be careful to not be too specific. We don't want to read more into the Bible than is actually there. So, you know, whatever it might be, Jesus is just emphasizing being faithful while he's gone. Uh, and, and I'm sympathetic, actually, to that, that view. We don't want to make the Bible say things that it doesn't say. But actually, I think that the talents are something more specific. And to find this out, one of the key principles whenever you're reading your Bible uh, is context. What does the Bible say? Uh, what's going on around the passage? So. Often, if you, have, if you come up against something that you're kind of confused about, and you're like, what is this? What's going on around it? You know, the things often, there are clues telling you what's there. You know, and we do this all the time in our own daily life. If someone says, I have to go, and you're at an airport, and they're looking at the departures, you know, it means one thing. They're, you know, they're saying goodbye, I have, to, I have to go. And that means something very different than if you're on a family road trip across miles of, of road, and a little kid says, I have to go. It doesn't mean that they want to open the door and just fall out at eight miles per hour, right? Uh, so you have to take into account the context, and that's what we're going to do here. So I'm going to make a few observations to try to unpack what these talents are. Okay, here's a, the first observation. It's Jesus' last parable, 
It's his last sermon. Okay. Sorry, let me flip over my notes here. But he has it. Number two, he's just told another parable right before this one. Okay. Which Pastor Josh preached on last week. Uh, verse one, it says, when Jesus introduces that parable, he says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like, right? The kingdom of heaven will be like this. And he tells the story of the ten virgins, uh, the five wise and the five foolish. And then our parable in verse 14 starts, for it will be like. But he doesn't say, what's the it? Well, the it is the kingdom, right? He's still telling us what the kingdom uh, is like. Okay, but here's the real key verse. Verse 29 of our passage. If you jump down to it, Jesus, the master says towards the end of his story, for to everyone who has been given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, not even what he has, uh, will, even what he has will be taken away. Now this sentence Jesus has actually said before. He said it back in Matthew 13. So if you want to jump there, Matthew 13, and I'll tell you a little bit about Matthew 13. Matthew 13 is Jesus' first, in the context of Jesus' first parable. So here we are in Matthew 25 looking at his last parable, and he makes a reference back to something he said in the context of his first parable. So beginning and end, all right? Here's what he says. After Jesus says his first parable, uh, in verse 10, uh, about the sower, the parable is about the sower, his disciples come and say to him, why do you speak to people in parables? This is the first time Jesus has started talking parables. And he answered them. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. Verse 12. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Familiar, right? We just heard that. He goes on. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. He then quotes prophet Isaiah, jump down to verse 16. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Okay? Jesus is explaining why he's using parables. And his parables are meant to tell people about the kingdom, to reveal it to some, and to hide it from others. Okay? And it seems that what is inferred here is that the talents, as Jesus is concluding his whole series, his years of preaching parables before he dies, his parable about the talents, the talents are Jesus' teaching about the kingdom. Okay? And this actually seems to bear itself out in other ways. For example, in Matthew 13 again, verses 44 and 46, Jesus tells parables about a pearl of great price or about treasure hidden in a field. And he compares the kingdom to 
to wealth, right? To, to the pearl and to this hidden treasure, okay? And the kingdom is of the highest value. And here in Matthew 25, once again, Jesus is comparing or inferring, we might say, the wealth of the kingdom teaching with these talents. And one last thing. Sorry, two last things. In the Great Commission, at the very, very end of Matthew, Matthew 28, Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world, baptizing and teaching the nations to observe all that he has commanded, right? Jesus' teaching is front and center in the very last words that he has to say. He wants them to teach about the kingdom. So as a church, we have a responsibility with the gospel, with the kingdom teaching, to take it into the world. Now, one uh, final thing here on the talents. In the context of Matthew 25, which is essentially, you could title the sermon, How to Survive the End of the World. It's like, it's Jesus' zombie apocalypse sermon in one sense. Like, this is what you should do when everything starts going crazy. Because in Matthew 24, here are the things. Jesus says when he's gone, there's going to be tons of kingdoms and nations fighting each other. And the church is going into all of these nations with the gospel, right? So there's conflict. The church is going with the gospel. Uh, and it's not going to be rosy, right? People are going to hate you, persecute you, and they're going to kill you, okay? Kind of a real motivating, inspiring uh, last sermon. Uh, and even some Christians, he says, their love, or professing Christians, their love will grow cold. Also, they're going to be fake messiahs. They're going to be fake Jesuses all over the place. And of course, we've seen plenty of that. Um, and Jesus is trying to help them not to get lost in all the wild craziness of the end of the world. That is what he's doing. And how do you survive? You listen to Jesus, right? The most valuable thing that Jesus can give you is himself and his teachings, okay? So one of the questions at this point, just as we have barely cracked open this parable, as a church, as families, as individuals, what does it look like for us to treasure the teachings of Jesus? What does it look like for us to just love the words of Jesus? Do we, do we love Jesus' words? Are they central in our lives? And one of the questions is, well, how, how do you know if they are? And this uh, we'll come to in a moment. How do we know? But for the moment, let's go back to our parable, okay? So the talents are Jesus' teachings about the kingdom. But let's look now at the master's return in verse 19 and following. After a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And of course, uh, the first two servants, the job review goes quite well. Both have in fact doubled what was entrusted to them. In fact, Four times we're told, depending on your translation, that they gained, they gained, they gained, or they made, right? The emphasis is on uh, verses 16, 17, 20, and 22, that they uh, gained something. And in fact, both get commended, right? Excellent, or well done, bravo, good and faithful servant. Four times. The word faithful shows up, right? They are marked by being faithful. 
they've been fruitful. They advanced the wealth and the interests of their master, and they're given more responsibility. Now, uh, let's look at the third circle, you know, job review number three. We're not initially told of what his motivation is for just going and plopping the money in the dirt, right? We, we don't know why he did that. But, but in the second part of the parable, he at least gives us some explanation. He says that it's essentially his character assessment of his boss isn't very favorable. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever uh, you face a job review, it's probably not the greatest strategy to tell your boss what you think of them in that moment, regardless of whether it's a good boss or a bad boss, just saying. But the boss, the master, turns around and says to him, you are wicked, lazy, and useless. Ouch, okay? You don't want to hear that in a job review. But here's the issue with our servant. The servant, in fact, actually does not know his master. He has misassessed him. He says in verses 24 and 25, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid you scare me. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's what's yours. Now, notice this language of reaping uh, where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed, right? Essentially, that is the whole process in an agrarian society for making wealth, uh, mostly, right? You sow stuff, you hope that there's water, and then you, you reap it. And essentially, the servant says, you don't do any work, and you expect to get all the benefits, Right? You don't sow and you don't reap, but you expect that you're going to get the benefits of it. And he's afraid of his master because he characterizes the master as harsh. And this word for harsh could be, or, or hard, could be harsh, even merciless. And the person is, the master, in his opinion, is overly self-seeking and greedily opportunistic. Now, it might seem like the master agrees, right? He says to the servant, you know that I like to make money where I don't do anything for it, right? I think the question is rhetorical, but we'll get there. But one of the things the master does not repeat is he does not repeat the words out of the servant's mouth that he is hard. He skips over that word. He doesn't seem to agree. And here's why from the story, I think that he actually shows that he's not a hard or harsh master. In verse 21, he says to the servant, the, the servant who gained five talents, he says, you were faithful in little. You were faithful in little. Now, just so you know, a talent is not a little. Okay? A talent is not a little. A few weeks ago, we talked about what a talent actually cost in this day and age, it's about 6,000 days worth wages, or 16, 15, 16 years, okay? So somebody who can say that five talents is being faithful in a little means that this guy is mind-blowingly wealthy, right? For most people, this would be like a fortune, and he's like, you've been faithful in a little, right? You know, imagine if Bill Gates 
uh, has some servants. He, you know, he does essentially the same thing. He's like, you've been faithful in $2 million or you know, half a million or let's say half a billion dollars, right? And you've been faithful in a little. You're like, whoa. You know, like, I've never seen that much money. I can't even imagine how much you can do with it. So this guy is fabulously wealthy. You've been faithful in a little. I will put you over much. He has a lot more that he can hand over to these servants. So losing one talent for this guy is probably not going to break the bank. He probably didn't lose any sleep over this servant maybe losing his whole talent. He wasn't probably worried about it at all. In fact, if anything, what this highlights is that the servant is lazy. He didn't even think to go to the bank. He could have done, he could have just walked down the street past his yard and his plot of land and just gone to the bank, stuck it there, not worried about it, and it would just gain interest. The, serf, the, the master's calling out the servant for, for being a hypocrite. He doesn't even follow his own thinking. So it's a little bit more like the parents and the babysitter, right? It's more like the babysitter arrives and is like, kids are all alive, and knowing that you guys are like jailers, I sent them to bed without food and they've been sleeping since. And the parents are like, well, if, if we're jailers, at least give them the bread and water that we usually give them, right? That, that's like the parallel here. Here's the other thing, though. The master is not harsh and merciless. In fact, two times with the servants that he has commended, not only does he commend them, give them more responsibility, he adds this on top. He says to them in verse uh, 21 and 23, two times, enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, we don't know exactly what he means by this. Some have speculated that he's inviting them to a feast, but that's not readily obvious. What it does seem to mean is that the master is going to share sort of the goodness that he enjoys with them. So he's not just simply looking for these servants to do his stuff and have no joy in their work, no in fact, benefit, and it's almost like he's welcoming them into some sort of fellowship with him. So, he's far, far, far from being a harsh master. The servant is lazy and hypocritical and unfortunately does not actually even know the master. And if the talents are Jesus teaching about the kingdom, what is central to his kingdom teaching is Jesus himself. Who he is. And this servant has missed out. He doesn't receive the welcome. He rather gets shut out and cut off from a master who's actually quite remarkably generous and welcoming. He's sent out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he suffers outside of the kingdom and outside of the master's joy. 
So, what's the significance? What's the kingdom significance of this parable? I think one natural question that we have when we come to this parable is, okay, what does this fruitfulness that these, that these uh, servants enjoy, what does it look like? What does it look like to be good and faithful servants? It seems to me there's at least two things. Given the context of our passage in Matthew in general, it has to do with what Jesus' servants will do as they go into the world. How they go into the world. They're supposed to fill the world. And one thing is conversions. You're going to see people come to Jesus as the Christians and as the church steward these talents. In fact, in the verses right after our, our um, parable, verses 31 and 32, Jesus talks about when he's going to return. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all nations. And from those nations, he's going to sort sheep and goats. And these are essentially, he's assuming that the gospel has gone to these nations. And these are people that have some responded to the gospel and others who have not. And of course, it echoes Jesus' final words that we are to go make disciples of all nations. Now, there's a second characteristic of fruitfulness. Notice in verses 34 and 36 of our passage, Jesus is telling again about when he returns, and he's not talking in a parable anymore. He's predicting what it will be like. He's going to turn to the sheep. You know, he separates the sheep and the goats, and then the king will say to those on his right, he's going to welcome them. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I've been building this awesome kingdom with you in mind from the beginning. And why? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And they're like, when? Verse 4, he answers that question. And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. To be a good and faithful servant is to care for the least of these. Especially your brothers and sisters in the church. And this is the upside-down nature of the kingdom, as we've been seeing all throughout the parables. The kingdoms of this world operate one way, and they go from bottom to top, right? And you want to be at the top. The kingdom of heaven goes from top to bottom. And in fact, what's striking is that here the king associates with those who are at the bottom. And the good and faithful servants are evaluated on how they treat those at the bottom, not at the top. Because as they treat the people at the bottom of life's ladder, 
of the hierarchy of power, they actually treat their king. Because that's where he is. He's not like the kings of this world who all want to get to the top and have everyone running things for them. So one of the questions for us as a church is how do we treat each other? And how do we treat those who are somehow beneath us or temporarily in need? If you jump back to Matthew 24, 24 verses 45 through 51, listen to this. Same sermon, same context. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find doing so when he comes, right? Looking out for other servants. <laughs> Truly I say to you, he will set him over his possessions. This sounds exactly like our parable. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master's delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, well, the master has another thing coming for that guy, right? Just like our lazy, hypocritical servant. So fruitfulness, that good and faithful servant, is sharing the gospel and loving brothers and sisters, especially those who are in deep, deep need. And we're not talking about, oh, you know, they had a bad day, right? We're talking about people who are in prison, without food, without clothes. So there is one other question that I would like to address because it's very likely on your minds. And that's the question of, do I earn this? Do I need to start earning points with Jesus so that I can get in. Because it certainly sounds like you've got to do stuff or you're not going to make it into the kingdom, okay? And here's the simple answer. The answer is no. And yes. And you're like, well, that's not helpful. <laughs> the answer first is no. Because What's central to the gospel is that you cannot earn the kingdom of heaven, okay? Jesus does that for you. But here's the thing. If you trust in Jesus and you don't do anything to earn heaven, the way the kingdom works is that inevitably what Jesus has done for you will itself make you fruitful. And so the answer is yes. If you believe in Jesus, you won't be able to help it. You will be a fruitful Christian. Okay? And this is all throughout the Bible. And it's actually also a mark of God's Word. When God's Word goes, it does stuff. Genesis 1, God says, you know, let there be light. Boom, the lights go on. Or Psalm 1, the person that meditates on God's word day and night is like a fruitful tree. Or Isaiah 55, God's word does not go forth from his mouth without returning to him. And here's the thing that's mind-blowing. The talents are Jesus' teachings about the kingdom. 
Jesus' teachings about him and his kingdom will bear fruit. It's not because we're super awesome, but it's because God's word is super awesome that it will bear fruit. Now, here's something that I think is worth noting about the sheep in Matthew 25, right? When Jesus said, or when the king says, you clothed me, you did all this for me, and they're like, when? They're not even like keeping track of all the good works they're doing. The third servant in our parable is motivated by fear. He's scared of the master. He misunderstands the master, and I guarantee you that that is not a good motivator for being fruitful in the Christian life. It's knowing and loving the master that will be making you fruitful. And you can only know that by knowing his teachings about his kingdom. Finally, notice this. In verses 21 and 23, that both servants, they have differing abilities, servant one and servant two. And they both make different levels, right? One servant doesn't like, oh, you made the cut, right? You, you got over five talents, right? So you're in. That's not the evaluation. They were fruitful, and they get the exact same commendation, right? The exact same words. It's not like Jesus said, oh, you're at a platinum level, okay, you're at the gold level, but good. He, he doesn't evaluate them based on their performance in one sense. He just evaluates them based on their fruitfulness, which he gave them to start with. And we often pit faith versus works. And it is true that you are not saved by anything but the grace of God. But that grace is not without doing something in our lives. Remember that Christ said the kingdom is received as a child and the children enter it. And children don't, they're not the most productive members of society. Sorry, kids. One day, you will. It's received on faith. And here's the thing. Jesus' teaching will change our lives. It will change your life. Paul says the same thing. Paul, the great uh, apostle of grace, says in Romans 6, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know, interestingly enough, listen to the metaphor he uses, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. So, Jesus' final parable. It's about how to wait for him in his kingdom and what to do it's about loving him and loving his teaching, sharing it with others, and acting 
towards those who are the least of these. And our motivation is kingdom joy, right? We, we want to enter into the king's joy, our master's joy. We want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter, enter into your master's joy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that you have given to us in him and that you have given him to us and that he gave himself to us. I pray. I pray that you would help us as a church. That we would be marked more by Christ's kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. I pray that we would see people come to know Jesus. I pray that you would strengthen us to love each other, especially for those among us who have real need. I pray that our hearts, like Christ, would be drawn to those who are in need. And in doing so, we would be able to actually serve Jesus. Help us, Heavenly Father. You know our hearts that we can easily be inclined to sing without your help. And then without your help, we won't receive anything like good and faithful. But we know that with your help and power, with the Spirit, we are more than capable. You have given us everything we need for life and godliness. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.